0: As you know, this week held both Valentine's uh, and uh, the Chinese Lunar New Year. During the time of Valentine's, uh, many would ask me about my love story, how I met Cindy, and why she would say yes to me when I asked her when, uh, when I asked her to date me. And when they ask this question, I always respond through prayer. Now you may think that that is the go-to answer for a pastor. Yes, we pray always, especially in a case like this, but prayer in a way that you may not think. If you would indulge me to allow you uh, to hear my story. For those of you who have heard it before, I apologize, but I think uh, the vast majority of you don't know it. In 2001, I accompanied my father uh, from Texas uh, here to the Philippines. He was uh, our church's camp speaker. Uh, for our first uh, out of Luzon uh, church conference in Cebu He had just uh, gone through an asthmatic attack And so uh, my mother wanted me to accompany him I told my parents I will accompany dad to the Philippines uh, With one rule, with one understanding That they must promise not to set me up with anyone When I came back to the Philippines It had been years since I had come back Uh, I'd known that my dad and then uh, Reverend Lim had in mind some nice young ladies to introduce to me, of course, just for friendship, uh, at both this church and in Cebu. But I made it known very clear to the both of them that this would not be the case or I would not come. And so I came with my dad with the understanding that I would not be set up, and I wasn't. Uh, And I was ready after... The Holy Week conference was over to head back to Texas. We got a call that there was a delay in the package we were to pick up in Hong Kong on our way back to Texas. My dad had a speaking engagement, and so he asked, uh, because I had a free schedule, if I would be willing to delay my return back to the US for one week, and would I mind staying staying in Cebu for uh, one more week, and then picking up the package uh, a little bit later uh, through Hong Kong. I was excited, I'd never been to Cebu. Uh, I had planned a backpack in that week all around Cebu. Uh, I had researched and was ready to explore this island. Uh, But unbeknownst to me, my hosts found out that I would be staying an extra week and they talked to my father and insisted that they extend their Asian hospitality uh, to me, the son. The night before my dad left, I remember having a bit of a quarrel with him When he told me, son, uh, some of the church members in Cebu would like to host you, would you allow them? I said, no, dad, I've already planned to backpack through this island. Uh, I'm going to camp and uh, and just have a great time by myself. And uh, he told me, no, I think uh, you need to accept uh, their hospitality. It would be an affront if you were not to accept it. And so we had a bit of back and forth. Uh, And I finally uh, acceded to his desire, and I accepted their hospitality begrudgingly. They had assigned a group of young professionals uh, who would host me and take me around the city of Cebu, and I'm glad I took their hospitality because uh, Cindy was assigned uh, to this hosting committee, and uh, on that first time with this group, I took a real liking to her you got to understand, I had met her earlier at the summer conference uh, but we only had a, one conversation, hi, hello, and as she would tell me later, she did not like me. She thought I was too American. Uh, and uh, spending more time with her, uh, I wanted to get to know her more. I grew a fancy at this beautiful young lady. Well, how do I ask her out on a date? From an American culture perspective, you just ask her out. But I wanted to make sure that I was sensitive to the cultural expectations of a Filipino-Chinese community. And so I asked her friend, what is the protocol for dating someone? And to my surprise, you know what they said? They said, the first thing, Steve, you need to do is you need to set up an appointment with her family, and you need to sit down with her parents. Now, I found that very odd Because in America, when you sit down with the girl's parents, you're going to ask them for their hand in marriage. I just wanted to meet her. But she insisted this is how it's done. You need to sit down with her parents and allow them to get to know you. Well, I liked her, and uh, I said, okay, I'll try this. And I set up an appointment uh, with her parents, people I'd never met before, you've got to understand. And so there was... If you ask, where did you have your first date? Our first date was in Cindy's living room with me, her, her mother, and her father. Not very romantic. Well, it was a bit of awkwardness uh, as we did some small talk. And thankfully, after about an hour, they excused themselves to leave us alone. I'm, I'm sure to go to the other room to listen in. And we hit it off. We had a great time. Uh, We conversed well. And uh, the night was getting late, and so I wanted to be a good gentleman, and I wanted to leave. But I'd forgotten something. I'd forgotten to ask her friend, what is the proper way to end a date in the Filipino-Chinese context? You see, in America, especially where I'm from, If the date has gone well, you just give them a hug, a Plutonic hug. It means nothing. I'm from Texas. It's from the deep south. uh, And so we're all huggers there. We're very friendly and warm in that way. And so if the date went well, we just give them a hug, and that would be it. But I thought to myself, if I gave her a hug in her living room, she may think I'm a really forceful, brash American. Uh, I may scare her off. And I thought to myself, I better not. And I thought, well, how do I end this in a proper way to express that I like her and would like a second date? And so I thought, well, maybe I could, I could shake her hands. i just come out of corporate America and, you know, like a business deal, would just shake her hands and say, had a wonderful night, hope we can do it again. And I thought to myself, well, that, that seems so businesslike and so professional. Uh, that would not convey how much I like her. And then I remembered uh, that uh, Flying Cathay, uh, a long trip from uh, the U.S., I had flipped through some of the airplane movies and I uh, had stumbled upon some Chinese TV shows. And I found it very odd that when Asian people uh, wish to greet each other goodbye, even if they're standing about two or three feet apart really close, they would wave their two hands in circles like this. And it always boggled my mind why people would do this when they're only standing two feet apart. Goodbye. And I said, I can't see myself doing this. I had some Korean friends uh, in L.A., and I'd always watch them. When they said their goodbye, they'd always give the victory symbol, the V, and uh, they'd kind of flip it around and say goodbye. And I thought, "I I can't do this either. And so I'm panicking at this time because I don't know how to gracefully end this date what seemed like an eternity in my mind, which was probably only a few seconds, I blurted out words that had deep ramifications, but they were words I could not take back once I said them. You see, I'd been a pastor at that time for about two and a half years as an an assistant pastor, and it had become automatic that as a pastor, when you want to end something, you say these words. And so before thinking about the ramification and my nervousness to end this date... I said to Cindy, let's pray. Because that's what all pastors use when they want to end something, right? At the end of this sermon, I'll say, let's pray. So in my nervousness, I said to her, let's pray. And I thought to myself, oh, no. What do you pray for? Lord, I hope she likes me. I I hope she'll give me a second date. I blew it. I really thought I blew it. I thought she must think I'm the holiest person out there. I, to this day, neither does she remember what I prayed for. I was so embarrassed, I left her house just deeply embarrassed. As you know the rest of the story, I did eventually marry her. It took me years after we got married before I had the courage to ask her about that first date in her living room. And I remember after we were married, I asked her, Honey, do you remember that first date we had in your living room? She said, Yes. I said, Did you remember anything unique or unusual about it? Uh, She said, yeah. I said, what? She said, you said, let's pray. I said, what did you think? She said, you know, I thought there's no way I can date this guy. He's so holy. (laughs) He's so spiritual. And I said, why did you give me a second chance? Why did you give me that second date? And this was her reply. She had grown up in a Christian family. And she said, you know, Steve, I'd always prayed that God would give me someone who was a strong believer And there were a lot of men courting me at that time. But out of all those men, you were the only one that said, let's pray. So I thought, maybe that's a sign from God. You may be holy, but I'll give you a chance. So literally, my praying with her allowed me to have the wife, the wonderful wife that I have today. So young people, on your dates, you should end the date with praying with each other. I tell you what, that will prevent temptation. It will prevent temptation at all costs. You know, it's interesting as we think about it. While prayer calls upon the God of the universe to help us, often it is out of an automatic response to desperation that we pray. When we have nothing else to say or nothing else to do, at our wit's end we pray. It is not a priority. It is not the first thing that we think of to do. It is often the last thing we think of to do. In our Christian circles, in our community, it is the thing we talk about the most but do the least. As James closes this book in teaching how we should love excuse me, in teaching how we should live our lives louder than words to show the unbelieving world of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ, what does he write about? He writes about the importance of prayer. You see, as the world observes us, sadly, Christian couples today do not pray together daily. Christian families don't initiate prayer together before they eat publicly or even in their home privately As many of you can account for, it is often your own children who have learned this in Sunday school and in church who have to remind you, Christian parents, to remember to pray. How in the world can we show the world of our trust in our Heavenly Father to provide all good things in our lives when we ourselves are not willing to converse with Him? I wonder if anyone this morning can be accused like Daniel of Old whose only problem was that he talked to God too much in prayer. Turn to in your Bibles this morning to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to be taking a look at verses 13 to 20 as we conclude our study in the book of James. Next week, we begin a new series in the book of Nahum and Habakkuk. Pray for me as I prepare. Here in these concluding verses... James touches on an area of the Christian life often talked about but often not done. To help you outline our message this morning, James will talk about three aspects of the prayer life. The first aspect he talks about is our attitude toward prayer. The second is our object of our trust when praying, and finally, our inner life condition While praying. What should be our attitude? Who is the object of our trust when we pray? And what should our inner life look like? While we are praying. Let's break this down. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Here in verse 13. James talks about our attitude in prayer. Number one. It is that we are to do it any time, every time. In our suffering, whether it is of the spiritual type or emotionally or physically, the Bible says very plainly, without mincing any words, we are to pray. It is through prayer that we are to be able to endure what we are suffering. Likewise, in times of joy, The Bible says we are to sing psalms. Singing is really a form of prayer. If prayer, at its base definition, is a conversation with God, so is singing. Our singing is a form of prayer expressed to God musically. In other church Christian traditions, prayers are often sung as if someone would sing the Lord's Prayer. So if prayer is to be done anytime and every time, then prayer doesn't have to be long. Prayer doesn't have to be formal. Prayer can be short. It can be a heart's cry. It can be said audibly, but it can also be inaudibly from the heart. If you cry it from your heart, Lord, help me, those three words are a self-contained prayer in and of itself. Lord, help me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the success is also a self-contained prayer. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. It's an attitude that says, I can shout out and speak to the Lord and converse with Him anytime, constantly. Sometimes we allow the form of prayer to stymie us from praying more. We think that we have to close our eyes and fold our hands. Let me tell you what, that it's nowhere found in the Bible. You know that, right? Do you know why we teach children when they're young to fold their hands and close their eyes? It's so that when their hands are folded, they won't be hitting their brother or sister or their Sunday schoolmate. You know why they close their eyes? We teach them to close their eyes so that they will pay attention and not look around. It's to focus them when they're young. As an adult, you have the freedom not to close your eyes or fold your hands, especially when you're driving. If you close your eyes while you're driving, you really better be praying. But even your drive, and the Lord knows how long a drive we have living in Manila, what a wonderful time to express your heart's desire for your children, for your spouse, for your workplace, for your colleague. Some of you know three weeks ago I had to get two eye cysts removed, one in each eye. It required the flipping back of my eyelids and then making a small incision to be able to scrape out what was inside the cyst. It was a bit of a shock to me when the ophthalmologist said that there's no amount of warm compress or non-surgical option that would make these eye cysts go away. Now, I usually have a very high pain tolerance, but when it comes to my eyes, I get squeamish and I get scared because I don't like the possibility of going blind. But the doctor said, unless you deal with it now, we're just delaying the inevitable. And I looked at my schedule and I realized there wasn't any better date. It took me by surprise, but she said, we can do it now. Because of my schedule that week, there was no other time. I had no time to assemble a prayer team. I had no time to say, you know, Doc, could you wait? I need to kneel down and pray. She had a lot of patience after me. She just said, would you like to do it now or at the OR? If you do it in my clinic, it's cheaper versus the OR. So I said, let's do it now. I'm trying to mask my confidence, but inside I'm scared, especially when she told me to lay down. And she prepares her tools, and she pulls out a very long anesthesia needle. I said to myself, that needle looks long. She said, don't worry, Stephen. We're just going to put this needle through your eyelid. That wasn't very assuring. You know what my prayer was in my heart? While she was about to begin the procedure, Lord, don't let it hurt. Lord, don't let it hurt. Sounds like a fifth grader or fourth grader. Outside I was trying to be confident and not scared But inwardly I was praying, Lord, don't let it hurt And she put in that needle in and put in the anesthesia After a few minutes it took its effect Then she took my eyes and she pried it open with a a tool Flipped the eyelids Now, at this point it's not like you can close your eyes and not look So it won't hurt because your eyes are propped wide open So I'm watching her as she now takes a scalpel and puts it towards my eye. I'm seeing this. You know what my prayer is? Lord, keep her hand steady. Keep her hand steady. She looks like she's shaking. And you're seeing this. Then, of course, after she's done, and in about 30 minutes on both eyes, after the gauze and bandage come off, I can see. And so I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, thank you. I can see. I can see. Thank you, Lord. It sounds like the prayer of a little child, if you were to ask me what I was praying in my heart. It would not sound like the prayer you hear on Sunday mornings. It would definitely not sound like the prayer of a senior pastor of a large church. But guess what it is, what it is, it was my heart's cry. That was my conversation with God, and He heard me every time. The Bible says our attitude towards prayer is to be Always, every time. In verses 14 and 15, James talks about the object of trust when praying. Look with me. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now in this next section, James talks about the object of trust when we pray, and that's of course number two, the Lord God. The object of our trust when we pray must be directed to the Lord God. This is important for James to remind us, because so many people believe that prayer itself, the act of prayer is what heals us. The act of prayer is what does the work. But the Bible says, no, it is not the act of prayer, it is the object of that prayer that is most important. And James uses an example that we can all relate to, a time when we earnestly pray when we are sick. And in this context, he's talking about one who is sick because in their spiritual life there is sin. And the Bible talks about that there are some sicknesses caused by sin. Not all sicknesses are caused by sin, but it can be. And so James says, call the spiritual leaders of the church to come and pray over him or her. This is a reminder that there is a spiritual component in prayer, knowing that one of the many causes of physical illness is sinful living. To call upon spiritual leaders to pray over you is an acknowledgement that there is something spiritual that must be dealt with. What it doesn't mean, as some have misinterpreted this verse, is to say that somehow the prayer of the pastor or the elder or the deacon or a bishop is somehow more powerful than your prayer. You and I need to understand that when you say, dear Heavenly Father, and when I say, dear Heavenly Father, our prayers reach God and His ears, not only at the exact same time, but at the exact same priority level. Your prayer is just as powerful as my prayer. But the calling of spiritual leaders to pray for you is an acknowledgement of your own inability to call others to lift up this spiritual matter with more fervor. Now, as a side note, I want you to understand and observe that James doesn't ask us when we are sick to call for those with the supposed gift of healing. In the early church, when God gave spiritual gifts, He gave certain people the gift of healing. That meant that the Holy Spirit enabled them when they are to speak or to touch others they would be healed. That was for the establishment of the church. But we as a church believe that this sign gift of healing no longer exists, no longer is being given by the Holy Spirit because now the church worldwide has been established. It doesn't mean we don't believe in miraculous healing. We believe that miracles do happen as God allows. The case of my mother and her cancer... But we don't believe that there are men and women today who have the power that through a simple touch or a simple word, they can heal others. So I need to warn you, congregation, of these so-called faith healers. Stay away from them. Be warned of these so-called healing services, these healing masses. The Bible never speaks about such things. Because if there were really such thing as faith healers, they shouldn't be asking for donations. You know what they should be doing? They should be at our public hospitals, 24 hours, seven days a week, going to each of the room and healing everyone there. But they don't. So you wonder about their so-called spiritual gift of healing. And if you were to take this to a, its logical extension... That means they would never die. People would never die because of the faith healer always comes and heals you from your sickness. You could live to 150. hope that makes sense. Be wise. Be careful. Now, what does James talk about when he talks about anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord? What James is talking about is that he is reminding us that with prayer... As we focus on the object of whom we pray, which is the Lord God, we need to understand that medical treatment is also important. Because there are some Christians who believe that they don't need vaccines or medicines or medical treatment because they have faith and they pray. But that would be the wrong application of spiritual principles. You need to understand the context. The anointing of oil at that time was like taking medicine today to cure various ailments. You can look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. In today's context, it would be like the Chinese using the white flower oil to cure almost everything from pain to nausea. So it was in those days what oil was used for. In fact, if you look at the Greek word use for the anointing of oil, that word anointing can have a reference to a medical procedure. And there's another Greek word, also translated anointing, that refers to something ceremonial or religious. The word that James uses here for anointing is one that is in reference to a medical procedure. Because the Bible doesn't teach that there are magic potions out there, that somehow if we, were, we pray with oil, there would be instant cure. I don't carry with me holy oil when I go to the hospital and visit and pray with Hospital patients, I have oily hands, but that's about the only oil I bring. Because the reminder is the object of trust. The reminder is that it is the Lord God that we trust. Look at the last phrase of verse 14. In the name of the Lord. My friends, we have to be very careful that we do not allow superstition, either through word or action, to take us away from our sights on relying upon the object of our prayers, which is the Lord God. You know, when I first came, I had a few people come up to me, and they said, Pastor, pray for me. I said, sure. What can I pray for you about? Pastor, I have the dreaded C.A. I said, excuse me, you have what? I have C.A. I said, what, California? California? I don't understand, because in America, CA is California. That's the abbreviation, and in a hushed tone, they would say, no, pastor, I have cancer. So I say, why do you say that word in such hushed tones? Why do you use the abbreviation? And this is what that person told me, because if I say that word, that word connotes death and dread and doom, if I say that word, then I may not be healed. This is from a believer. Some people don't like to use the word cancer to describe what they have because they think it would bring upon them bad luck. And yet they're Christians. How in the world does that work? It doesn't. When we pray, the Bible says, when we pray, it is the object of our trust that is most important, which is in the Lord God. And we do things in His name. Medicine is God-given. God has given wisdom to scientists and doctors to bring forth treatment and medicine so that through those means, His power and enablement can allow us to be cured. But we also know that there are no guarantees that a medicine or medical treatment will work. That's why I wonder how many of you, before you take your vitamins every morning, Before you take your medicine, how many of you pray? Probably very few. We trust in the medicine, and we think because we're taking it, it's going to cure us. But there is no guarantee. You know that. But yet we don't pray. How many of you, before you give your children paracetamol, say, you know, let's pray that God will use this medicine to cure you? Very few of us. Because it is a snapshot of what we really trust. We don't trust God. Now that we have the medicine, that's what's going to cure us. Your actions are an ultimate indication of your trust in the Lord. Verse 15, again, the focus is on the object of trust when praying a prayer of faith. You see, a prayer of faith is a prayer that places confidence in God's hand to heal. Note, if He so wills, because look at that, Second part of verse 15, the Lord will raise him up. It is the Lord that chooses to raise him up or not. There are no guarantees of healing, but we pray because we acknowledge that He can, not that He must or not that He will, but that He can. Because just because you pray, the action of prayer doesn't guarantee that good things will happen to you. I have a pastor friend in Texas. His sister, Jeannie Flynn, died of cancer just a few weeks ago. She was 41 years young, my same age. She left behind her husband and four little boys. Jeannie was a woman who loved the Lord with a passion. Ever since her college days, she had an evangelistic heart. She served the Lord faithfully, but yet God called her home. Hundreds of people were praying for her. But God didn't bring physical healing in her life. Before she passed away, she recorded a video testimony with her husband beside her. Her body was racked by the pain of cancer. It is heart-wrenching watching this video. But it was moving. This is what she said. I'm sure if I didn't have this cancer... I probably wouldn't be as kingdom-focused as I am now. It's not something I would wish for, but this world is not our own. If my pain and suffering make people see what God can do through people who suffer, then I can keep going on because this is just momentary trouble. It won't last forever. I know where I'm going, and when I see Jesus... I will be completely healed, no more pain, no more suffering. And she is saying these words while there are tears running down her eyes because she is in such a painful condition that her body is twisted, racked by cancer. And what moved me were these last words when she says, through her tears, remember, God is always a good God. At her funeral, her husband recounts that God didn't heal her, but because of her suffering, hundreds who have followed her story have had their faith changed. My friends, we do not focus on the results of our prayer, because when we pray, the focus is on the person of God who is able to do all and who loves us immensely who will only give us what is best according to His will. When we pray, and why we're asked to do it, is because it puts our lives in His hands. It requires humility and yielding on our part to pray. Oh, we all pray. But we pray the perfunctory prayer, Lord, thanks for the food. Lord, give me this and give me that. Lord, bless me. Lord, heal me, or give my kids good grade during the long examination. And those are all valid prayers. But I wonder if we look when we pray, focusing on the object of the person we pray to, and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What we are doing is in humility and yielding, we put our lives in His hand. The object of trust when praying is always the Lord God. That is the focus, not the results, is what we need to be looking at. What does our inner life condition when praying need to look like? Look at verses 15 to 16. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Here, James talks about the inner life condition of one when they pray. number three, that is a condition of righteousness through confession. Righteousness through confession. The effectivity of our prayers are related to the righteous life that we live. Because God can have nothing to do with sin... Sin is a hindrance to the Spirit's work in prayer. And that's why verses 15 and 16 talk about the confession of sins publicly and privately. Because it is one who is in good standing relationally with the Lord and with others. It is their prayer that will be effective. My friends, we need to be right before God when we pray. So that both our physical and our spiritual ailments are cured If you have wronged someone, many of us think, as long as I confess to God, I don't have to ask the other guy for forgiveness. No, it doesn't work that way. If you've wronged someone, you need to ask and approach them and ask for their forgiveness so that your prayer will be effective. So if you've wronged the spouse, the child, the friend, the colleague, you need to ask for forgiveness from them or else your prayer life will be ineffective. If you have sinned privately, then... A private confession is what it's called for, but a public sin requires public confession. An example of this principle, found in verse 16, is illustrated and expanded in verses 17 and 18. Look with me. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. To show you the effective prayer of a righteous man, James brings us to the prophet Elijah. Now I know what you must be thinking. There is no way I can be like the great prophet Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. And that's why James wrote at the beginning of verse 17, he was a man with a nature like ours. Loosely translated, he was an ordinary guy. Elijah was a regular, ordinary man, just like you and me, but because he was in good standing with the Lord, his inner life condition was right with the Lord, and he prayed and prayed. His prayers were answered. What was his prayer? His prayer was that it would not rain for three and a half years as a punishment for the wickedness of Israel under Ahab and Jezebel. And the Bible says it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and it rained. That's, that's a powerful prayer. But the power of the God who answered his prayer is the same power that we have access to when we pray to God the Father, when our inner life condition is right before Him. Now, He may not answer your prayers If your prayer was that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, that was special to that condition and that time. But that is the same power that you and I have access to. If our standing before the Lord is right, from a cleansed heart, we pray fervently. You know, prayer is not something you do and then wonder, it doesn't work, God doesn't answer. Or, wow, I'm surprised He answered. It's like a car. If you take care of your car, you make sure that it's tuned up, the oil is changed, it's maintained well, then you can expect that whenever you turn the keys to your car, the car will start. But don't be so surprised that if you never maintain your car, you never get it for an oil change, you never take care of it, that one day when you turn the car keys, your car will not start, or it will begin to shake at high speed, or it will break down. It should not be a surprise to you. So it is in prayer The Bible says the effectivity of your prayer is directly proportional to your right standing before the Lord. So you have to wonder sometimes why God doesn't answer your prayers. Could it be perhaps that you are harboring sin in your life? How your prayers affect the actions of a God who is sovereign, I cannot fully explain it to you. It is a theological tension. But somehow... The Bible says this is truth. In His Word He tells us that one who is right before God when he prays, somehow that righteous living will factor in whether God will answer your prayer or not. I want you to think about that. You and I who desire to have our prayers answered, the Bible says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much from God. If you want your prayers answered, you better make sure your life condition is one of righteousness through confession. And then in verses 19 to 20, a very fitting conclusion to this book. James writes, Brethren, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James concludes this book fittingly by reminding those who had wandered away from the faith. You remember from chapter 1, they had wandered away because of the trials and suffering that they were going through. James welcomes them at the end of this book. You can come back come back but it was also a charge to us to make sure that our lives are lived louder than words through action to affect an unbelieving community because how you live your life and how i live my life is so important because it may save a soul The bible says in verse 20 in the sense that when they see how you live they may want to explore this jesus christ you claim to know if they are backslidden or they live in carnality, having rejected the faith they once had, through the way you live your life, they may come back and seek Him again. So as you go out as a church scattered at the end of this service, you will go to your families, you will go to your friends, your batchmates, your barcada, your golfing group, your badminton group, your eating groups, whatever groups you go to, understand that how you and I live our lives, perhaps, Lord willing, will call them to want to know Christ more. So live your lives louder than words in all aspects of life, especially through your prayer life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You acknowledging we don't pray enough. We pray only out of our desperation and often as the last option available. We pray words, but they don't mean much because we live in sin and we somehow feel that just the words are enough, never looking at our internal heart condition to see if we are righteous before You, and then we get mad at You not answering our prayer. Father, we have used prayer and the act of it as a superstitious way to get what we want, forgetting that the object of our prayer is what's most important, the Lord God. It is You who decide in Your perfect and loving will whether You will answer it or not. And so we must pray in humility, and I hope You will cultivate amongst these men and women of our church men and women who are warriors through prayer, praying in the yielding of their lives and in submission to Your perfect will, using prayer as a way to focus us to the person of the Godhead who we love and trust. May we all establish a wonderful prayer life because we so enjoy talking to You. So allow us that freedom to tell you everything that's on our heart. Bless this church, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.